The scripture I'm about to read to you is one of Paul's letters. It's the shortest letter. It is um, what one commentary or what one commentator calls explosive. It's the book of, or the letter of Philemon. And it is a, at very least, a disruptive message. It will hopefully stir you up. It's intended to shake the church. It's intended to stir us up in faith. It's intended to to help us to see the consequences, the ramifications, the opportunity in every layer of life to demonstrate to the, the world around and to your very soul where life really comes from. From the Word of God, Philemon, Paul's letter to a man who had a servant named Onesimus. I'm going to be reading from a translation called The Message. I hope you're familiar with this. It's Eugene Peterson's uh, translation of the New Testament called The Message. Hear God's Word this morning. I, Paul, am a prisoner for the sake of Christ. Here with my brother Timothy, I write this letter to you, Philemon, my good friend and companion in this work. Also, to our sister Aphia, to Archippus, a real trooper, and to the church that meets in your house. That's how most churches were at that time, house churches. This one happens to be meeting at Philemon's house. God's best to you. Christ's blessings on you. Every time your name comes up in my prayers, I say, oh, thank you, God. I keep hearing of the love and faith you have for the Master Jesus, which brims over to other believers. And I keep praying that this faith we hold in common keeps showing up in the good things we do, and that people recognize Christ in all of it. Friends, you have no idea how good your love makes me feel. Isn't that nice? <laughs> what a great thing to say somebody. Doubly so when I see your hospitality to fellow believers. In line with all this, I have a favor to ask of you. As Christ's ambassador and now a prisoner for him, I wouldn't hesitate to command this if I thought it necessary, but I'd rather make it a personal request. While here in jail, I have fathered a child, so to speak, and here he is, hand-carrying this letter, Onesimus. He was useless to you before. He was his bondservant, but Paul says, He was useless to you before. Now, he's useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you. But it feels like I'm cutting off my right arm in doing so. You know, Onesimus had run away from Philemon. He'd run away from him. He'd escaped his servitude and ended up in prison with Paul. And he became a Christian. I wanted in the worst way to keep him here as your stand-in 
to help out while I'm in jail for the message. But I didn't want to do anything behind your back, make you do a good deed that you hadn't willingly agreed to. Maybe it's all for the best that you lost him for a while. You're getting him back now for good, and no mere slave this time, a true Christian brother. That's what he was to me. He'll be even more than that to you. So if you still, commit, if you still consider me a comrade in arms, welcome him back as you would me. If he damaged anything or owes you anything, chalk it up to my account. This is my personal signature, Paul, and I stand behind it. I don't need to remind you, do I, that you owe your very life to me. Do me this favor, friend. You'll be doing it for Christ, but it will also do my heart good. I know you well enough to know you will. You'll probably go far beyond what I've written. And by the way, Get a room ready for me. Because of your prayers, I fully expect to be your guest again. Epaphras, my cellmate in the cause of Christ, says hello. Also, uh, my co-workers, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, all the best to you from the Master Jesus Christ. What a letter. Let's pray together. Father, bless now this word, not only to our minds to understand it, but also to our hearts to believe it, that with our hands and feet, we may live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we lost a great uh, friend and inspiration, a leader in the church, somebody who's been a huge influence in my life personally this past week, died, Eugene Peterson, the author the translator of the, uh, the passage that I just read to you. He translated uh, the Bible from the original Hebrew and the Greek, and, uh, and it's called The Message. Many of you have copies of this. Eugene Peterson died at the age of 85. The response to his death that I have seen in media has been viral. Uh, I've been amazed with the consistency of the way that people lament his passing. And the consistency that I've seen is that people are stretching to understand why they loved this guy so much. Stretching to try to capture the moment and express why they had such uh, affection and trust for this man. Uh, he, He spoke with great gentle but quiet strength. And the reason is there was very little daylight between what he aspired to live and what he actually lived. His aspired values and his lived values were in sync. There was very little daylight between what he said he believed and what he actually lived. You know, that's one of the reasons I pray the the same way almost every week after we read the word. God bless it to our minds to understand it, our hearts to believe it, that we may live it. Is because the Christian life is about 
closing the gap between what we say we believe and what we actually live. In Eugene Peterson's own words, he says this, The Christian life is the lifelong practice of attending to the details of congruence. Congruence. Congruence between ends and means. Boy, I wish every journalist in America would read that. Congruence between what we do and the way we do it. Congruence between what is written in Scripture and our living out what is written. Congruence between a ship and its prow. What a great image. Congruence between preaching and living, between the Word made flesh in Jesus and what is lived in our flesh. That's from his last book, Eugene Peterson's last, last book, When Kingfishers Catch Fire. It's a, an image of a fish in the moment where, he's, where the sun is glinting off of him and the glory of God is shown in the perfect moment. You know, calling the Christian to that kind of moment again and again and again. What does it take? It takes closing the gap between what we say we believe and what we actually live. Bringing, not only having the right aspirations of values, but bringing our lifestyle up to the level of that to which we aspire. That's a full, fulsome life. How do we get there? And the answer is accountable relationships. Accountable relationships. That's the answer. You see Paul speaking audaciously, boldly into the life of Philemon saying, this, this cat that, that was working for you, that owed you his, you know, his livelihood, this guy who was, who was a bondservant to you, who escaped you, he, not only is he delivering this letter, but I'm telling you, receive him back as you'd receive me. That's accountability. He's turning the economy upside down. He's saying, this church that, that, that is planted in, in your home because of the exchanged life of your dead life for the living life of Christ, that church, I want you to make a bold statement to that church. I want you to do something that people can unequivocally say that what you say you believe you live. I want you to receive him as a brother. I want you to receive him as you would me, Paul, your father in the faith. Wow. You see why the commentator called it explosive. I mean, the economic system was wired for slavery. It was wired for indentured servitude. And here is someone who's saying, my strength does not lie there. So how do we, how do we get that, 
that gap closed? How do we close that gap? How do we say not only do we aspire to these values, but how do we take some things up a notch? Let's, let's consider two ways that we can take, uh, take the gap out of our lives. And first is to be accountable to common ground, to have skin in the game of common ground. Common ground, what is that? That's, that's what God is doing in us, among us. To have your skin in the game of what God is doing among us at First Presbyterian Church. To be held accountable through relationships, to have your skin in the game of what God is doing in our midst. What do I mean by skin in the game? Well, I mean, I mean that, that you actually have a personal investment, right? It's like when, you know, when, when uh, you know, Georgia's playing Florida and you went to Georgia or you went to Florida, you care, you have a personal investment in what happened yesterday. I hope there are no gators in the room. That's what it means to have skin in the game. Now imagine, now let's think about this church for a minute. Imagine someone comes up to, to me and says, hey Tim, I want to write a check so that nobody has to write any more checks. I'm going to write you the biggest check you've ever seen in your life and we're going to put it into a, an account and then uh, you can just do ministry out of the, out of the uh, interest that's earned on this principle. Now that's a big, big number. Think about what number that would be. I mean, I don't know what number that would be to be able to pay our bills every year. Should I accept such a check? Let me tell you, unequivocally, I would say, thank you, but no thank you. Does that surprise you? You say, oh yeah, sure. You turn that check down? Absolutely, I would. I would turn that check down. I've seen that done, actually. I've seen it done. I've seen that check turned down before when I was in Texas. Do you know why I'd turn that check down? Because it's a little bit like this. It's like going to the doctor and the doctor says, you know what? You're in the best shape of your life. Your, your diet is great. Your exercise is great. I mean, your heartbeat, all your, all your signs, all your vitals are great. All your blood work is great. You know what? We're going to put you on a respirator. We're going to hold right here. Like, we're going to put you on a respirator because you're, you're, you're the healthiest you've ever been. So let's, let's, let's hold right here. Does that work? No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. See, trading your skin in this game for the big check is like trading diet and exercise for a respirator. That's what it's like. When I sit down with couples uh, and I talk to them about, um, you know, premarital couples, when I talk to them about their life, uh, one of the things that I, I try to impress upon them is how important it is to write the first check to the church. Th this has been our practice as a couple. And the reason for it is it's a spiritual discipline. If nothing else, it's a spiritual dis discipline. It's good for you. You say, oh, that's, that's an interesting little twist there, Tim, a little spin. Well, it's not spin at all. It's my practice. It's our practice as a family. Why? Well, for the same reason 
that was given by Rockefeller when someone asked him, how much money do you think is enough for most people to be happy? And he said what? You've heard this, right? Just a little more. What keeps us from the tyranny of just a little more? You know what? If I just had a little bit more money, you know what? If I just had that thing, if I just had a little bit more in the account so I could bump things up and have that, that car instead of the 2002 Highlander. You know, I, I'm proud of my 2002 Highlander, by the way. When I, when I pull up next to a brand new Mercedes and I'm, I'm in my 2002 Highlander, I, I, I think, I own this vehicle. hundred <laughs> percent, you know. <clears throat> but just a little bit more is one of those thresholds that, that as, uh, as Ulysses said in his poem, it, it fades forever and forever when I move. You never get there. But when you give, when I give, when, when we're stewards of our time and our talent and our treasure, what happens is we, 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 look, we look the tyranny of just a little bit more in the face and we say, you will never satisfy me. And that's what Paul is saying to Philemon. He's saying, look, close the gap between what you are aspiring to be and what you're actually living. Close the gap. Receive this man. Let him off the hook. Whatever he owes you, charge it to my account. And then Paul says boldly, oh, by the way, you owe me your life. He's saying, look, exchange a worldly measurable value for an eternal one. State it boldly. David, in the Old Testament, King David was uh, in trouble with God again, right? And, and he was trying to uh, turn his life around. And he was supposed to create this altar, and uh, he went to a guy named Aruna who, who owned a threshing floor and a high place, a place where he could set up this, uh, this altar. And also he owned animals that, that could be sacrificed in, in the name of the Lord. And, and so he was trying to get things back on track. And he went to Aruna and David says to Aruna, he says, uh, you know, how much for your threshing floor? And Aruna greets him as a servant. Aruna greets him as one who who had great honor for the king. And he went down and he bowed down before him and he said, you can have it. This is his livelihood. This is his regard that he had for his king. He said, you can have it. And you know what David says? He says, I'm not going to give anything to God what cost me nothing. It's one of the most powerful, to me, that's one of the most powerful things in the Bible. I'm not giving to God something that cost me nothing. I'm going to pay you for this. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to offer to God less honor than you, Aruna, are offering to me. Here, Aruna is saying, take it. You know, he's, he's bowing down. He's recognizing who the king is in his life. And David says, that's a great illustration of what I want to do with my life towards God. And, and this is exactly what Paul is saying to Philemon. 
demonstrate with your life and your lifestyle what you're saying to the people who gather in your church every week. Demonstrate to them in a way that they, they can feel, they can really appreciate. You know what Luther said? Luther said there are three conversions necessary in a person's life. Conversion of their, their heart, their mind, and their wallet. <laughs> he said the wallet is the last one to go <laughs> because that's where we really feel it. We really feel that livelihood, that sense that life comes from something that we can achieve, that we can build, that we, we can grab hold of with just a little bit more. And, and Paul's saying, no. If we're going to be preaching Christ crucified, if we're going to be saying, when I am weak, yet he is strong, demonstrate it with your life. That's what he's saying. You want to close the gap between your aspired values and your lived values? He's saying, turn the economy upside down. Demonstrate to your own soul, through the giving of those things that you think are bringing you life, demonstrate it. Demonstrate it. Second is this. We, we close the gap. We have that sort of, we, we build that sort of congruence, that sense of integrity that people so value when they see it, they get it, Right? They're trying to, they're stretching to the language, the English language to give appreciation for Eugene Peterson and his life of integrity. They're looking around, they're saying, where is that? They're wanting more of it. You're wanting more of it. Bring it. Bring it in your own life. How do we do that? A commitment to common ground. A commitment to the common good. We need to be willing to be held accountable to the common good, to have skin in the game of common good. What is common good? That's what God is not just doing among us, but it's what he's doing through us, through us. It's, it's to light a candle rather than to curse the darkness. It's to light the candle rather than to curse the darkness. You know, there's so much darkness to curse. I get so frustrated with people cursing the darkness. They act like they're doing something, you know? I mean, they act like because they're talking about the caravan of migrants coming north uh, towards our border, they act like because they can say something over it that they're actually doing something about it. It's a total joke. I get so frustrated watching our pundits squander the opportunity for leadership by simply shaming either the left or the right, that's all we know how to do these days, is curse the darkness. And what are we called to do? We're called to light a candle. Well, when you light a candle and there's so much darkness, you think you're doing a little thing, you think you're doing nothing. You need to take a position. You need to come down hard on somebody, right? Because then you're talking about the big thing, right? Now you're, now you're aiming your life at something big, right? Now you're, you're weighing in, right, with all your great expertise because you read an article, right? You ever see that thank you, Scott? <laughs> Scott reposts some article that, that shames somebody, and, and uh, it was a Saturday Night Live skit. I never saw it. Maybe I did. Thank you, Scott. You, you ended racism. Thank you, Scott. 
You ended world hunger. Thank you, Scott. You did it. You posted that thing. Great job. You cursed the darkness. What are we called to do? We've got a, we've got a town right here. We've got a hurricane right up the road. We're, we're building a little footprint where we can, we can go step into and, and maybe send some groups. And you think, well, what's that going to do? It's a mess down there. Anybody go after Katrina? Anybody? Raise your hand if you went after Katrina. Uh, the first time I went down after Hurricane Katrina, I said, this place needs to be abandoned. It will never recover. That's what I felt in my heart. Because there were those little uh, bags that you get from the, those little plastic bags that you get from, from the grocery store everywhere. But this place will never recover. I mean, the, 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 the bridge between Biloxi and Ocean Springs was, was like dominoes, right? I mean, not pizza. I'm talking about the actual dominoes when you push them, push them down. I mean, it was like every, I mean, the roads were washed out. People's homes. That, I went to, with somebody to her house and uh, this is the first time she'd been to her house. It was just a week after the storm. And we're standing there over her house. And there are no other houses around. And she's looking at that. And she says, and her house is totally flattened, right? And I'm looking at the roof. roof and she says, she looks at that roof. And she says, that's not my roof. <laughs> I was stunned. I mean, there's no other house around. The force of that storm took somebody else's roof and leveled her house and plopped that roof right down. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And yet, people showed up. They lit a candle. They showed up again. They lit a candle. They lit a candle. They lit a candle. And slowly but surely, the local church, I watched the region become inundated with all these little happy groups of people from the local church. Are you Methodist? Well, are you Baptist? Are you Presbyterian? Didn't matter. They were showing up. They were lighting a candle. They were demonstrating in common cause for the common good what we're here for in palpable, measurable ways, life on life to show up. Not cursing the darkness. Not cursing the darkness. Saying it in action. Paul is saying to Philemon, pay it forward. You owe me your life. Pay it forward to Onesimus so that he can pay it forward. Demonstrate in your livelihood the value of an exchanged life so that that life will multiply. That's what we're here for. That's why you're still here even though you're a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, this is the life that people have demonstrated over and over and over again. You cannot measure the peace that you have in America, you cannot measure, you cannot measure the prosperity that comes from the principles of Scripture being, you cannot measure a life that is changed. I'll close with this. As I ask, how will your life demonstrate an exchange life? My favorite story, one of my favorite stories the Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. Uh, Dante's 
jailed for an offense that he didn't commit for 13 years. He gets out. He escapes. He finds this, uh, this, this, this group of pirates. And this one pirate um, was going to be executed. And they said, hey, let's, let's get the new guy. Let's, let's, let's have some fun. Let's watch him fight each other before, uh, before, we, uh, before we just put this guy to death. And Dante's had learned how to fight. He had been in the, the, the cell with a, with a warrior priest for about 13 years, and he learned how to, to fight. And so he, uh, he wins, and he doesn't kill the guy. And, uh, and then he talks the, uh, the, the, head of the head pirate into sparing both their lives. And, uh, and the guy whose life he spared, he grabs Dante, and he says, I am your man forever. And Dante looks at him and he says, I know. <laughs> Have you had that kind of experience with Jesus Christ? You belong to him in that way? So much so that you would demonstrate in your very livelihood where life really comes from. Not just a little bit more, but from the Lord himself. Let's pray together. Holy God, how we thank you for your amazing love for us and that thousands of years later, here we are proclaiming your goodness, organizing ourselves for mission, giving from our own livelihood, taking our time this morning, offering our muscle, and our minds to build your kingdom, the kingdom that is coming. Father, make us faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.